All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening in to another episode of Her Wild Outdoors. This is the episode you've been waiting for, part two with Kara from Canada. Um, Hello. (laughs) Thanks for coming back. Um, Thanks for having me back again. (laughs) We had so much to talk about, and we had – and what people don't know, we had just a small amount of time to have a conversation last time. And mm-hmm. so both of us, even before that started, had decided we're going to continue that conversation because yeah, we we both wanted to get more into the conservation side of of waterfowl and of mm-hmm. what you do and what do these things look like, not just what does it sound like, but what does actually putting your hands on (laughs) situations what does that look like and what can you do and what can you get involved in not being a biologist Mm -hmm. so I'm excited to to talk about it but I do for just a second for those who didn't hear the first one give just a little bit of who you are and why we're talking today about what we're going to be talking about yeah, for sure. Um, so my name's Kara. I am a biologist in Alberta, Canada. Um, I'm kind of all over the place with my work, but I work at an environmental consulting company right now, um, but try to get involved in as many waterfowl programs as I possibly can through Ducks Unlimited, um, through banding projects across North America. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we talked just very briefly last time about um just the process of getting to where you were because it Mm -hmm. wasn't a straight shot. You knew that you wanted to be involved with the outdoors and with animals at some capacity, Mm -hmm. but truly it came from volunteering. It it came from being flexible and taking a chance on something that got you where you are and hopefully where you (laughs) want to be in the future. Yeah, definitely. Volunteering is, I will talk to the moon about volunteering um, <laughs> is super important for students who are trying to get into their field, mm-hmm. um, people who are already in their field. It's great for networking opportunities as well. Um, so there's lots of value in that for sure. Yeah, I think that, and I've got I've got a young person that I'm going to be interviewing soon. And I think that one of those things that is asked a lot is, well, what do you want to major in when you get to college? Well, how do you know that? (laughs) I know. It's so much pressure. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. And you're seeing more and more students entering college with an undecided major. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that decisions don't necessarily have to be made right then and there, but I think that you would have a little bit better of a clue (laughs) of what that would be if you dabbled in a whole lot of different things. And that might be Mm -hmm. voluntary. It might not be being paid for it. And so being being able to say yes to things that you can um, and being flexible in that will open Mm -hmm. up doors, not just for you, but for what you might learn along the way. You might learn that that's not for you and you wouldn't have known that unless you had been in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And how awful would it be to go through a four-year degree and decide you don't like what you did your degree in? (laughs) 100%. I was a math major the first (laughs) year that I was in college. And it was because I loved, I had a fantastic math teacher from middle school all the way through my senior year and I was Mm -hmm. in advanced classes, but it was because I loved 
how she taught. And mm-hmm. and so I just thought, well, I'm just going to go straight into being a math major. Well, <laughs> you go, <laughs> I was fine with most parts of math, but when you got into proofs and things that changed and I was like, no, math is supposed to be factual and it's supposed to yeah. be concrete and it's like something that I can stand on and stand by. And you're telling me that there's room for for questioning things wait hold on what (laughs) right (laughs) it just turned into something that I realized was not what my end goal wanted to be and Mm -hmm. um and it took a year of thankfully mostly baseline credit to figure it out Mm -hmm. but I mean what if I had gone straight into that and wasted a whole year on it like I just Yeah. yeah it I should have been volunteering. I should have been tutoring. I should have been stepping into roles of leadership in our school mm-hmm. that had to do with math. And so I think I would have figured out sooner rather than later that that was not yeah. the place I wanted to be. At least it didn't go further than what it did. Correct. Oh, correct. Rest to you because I'm not a math person. I could not imagine majoring in math. It's really <laughs> fun. not have that brain. No, it's... I've, I think that the best part of photography and why I love photography is it hits both sides of my brain. It hits the science side and it hits the creative side and I get to utilize Mm. them both. Um, That's awesome. I think podcasting gets – I get to do the same thing. And if you think about hunting and fishing, there is still a science to it. There's still so much that goes into biology and and to – knowing the habitat of what you are around so it kind of feeds still both sides of my brain and I love it I it's Mm -hmm. funny I'm at the house of a really good friend of mine who we met my freshman year in college so it's ironic that we're talking about that year (laughs) (laughs) in this in this space um because she walked through it with me and um She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's I, – I do. I think that it's okay for you not to know. But I think that mm-hmm. it's also really good to try some things out, a few things, to figure yeah, out definitely. which ones are a no and which ones are a yes. I think it would save on therapy later. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, totally. <laughs> um, just getting out there and being a part of our world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> we could go. That could be a whole nother conversation. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, but I do. So our last conversation happened before you went to California. Mm-hmm. And now you have been to California and you are back. And I kind of. I'm back. I want to hear a little <laughs> bit about that. Yeah, so it was my first time rocket net banding, which was an experience that I I didn't have expectations going in, I guess, but I also didn't really know how the whole technique worked. Um, mm-hmm. So I definitely learned a lot with that. And the California waterfowl crew is absolutely incredible. I have nothing but good things to say about them. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a different experience than what I've been used to because with our swimming and walk-in traps, you're always guaranteed to be getting ducks in a day. Mm. Whereas with rocket net banding, you're very restricted with your weather. If the bird behavior isn't really conducive to your 
shooting of a net um mm-hmm. there's a lot more factors that are just completely out of your control and you kind of just got to fly by the seat of your pants yeah. um as far as shooting a net you don't really get to decide if you're shooting a net that day or not the weather or the birds decide that for you um so having patience that was a a new thing to kind of discover because i'm just like yeah let's shoot a net and it's like no yeah. it's windy we can't mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you say in comparison to how you have utilize different techniques in the past which one if you had your choice would you rather and why oh that's tough because I think they all have different pros and cons to them Mm -hmm. um so with the swim-in traps and the walk-in traps if you're having a really bad weather day and it's really rainy and windy those birds are still in that trap and you Mm -hmm. still have to work not that that's an issue obviously we're apt to work in unfortunate weather conditions but you feel bad for those birds that are in those traps they get like yeah they're waterfowl and they're ready to be wet but they get really soppy and just they get cold and they kind of just I don't know their behavior changes when they've been in a trap and just been hitting by those waves yeah um so in that regard I think that's kind of a con of the swim and walk-in traps whereas the rocket net banding if you're having bad weather you're just not going to shoot that net and there's no ducks that are going to have to deal with that Mm -hmm. condition um but then on the other side, you're getting ducks every day. So it's yeah. kind of just a balancing act, I guess, of uh, what you're going for. Um, the rocket net banding too, you're able to hit so many more birds. I think before I got to California, they had a net, I think, of 257 birds in one shot. That's absolutely incredible because wow. one of our traps would maybe maybe 50 birds in one trap. And that's dependent, again, on if they're attracted to that trap, if they want to swim in it. Sometimes we can have three traps all beside each other and they only go into one trap mm-hmm. out of the three. Yeah. Um, so, again, you're just you're relying on the behavior of the bird, what they want. It's completely their world and you're just living in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's a... It's a tough question to answer. I think they all have their spot of being a good technique based on location and weather um, situations that may arise. So yeah, yeah. I, that's that's how I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like with everything, when you're dealing with going into the wild and going into their habitat and putting your hands on something, you're going mm-hmm. to cause stress. And so yeah, exactly. you're trying to figure out the less stressful opportunity for them while still being able to get a hold of them and exactly um and so i think both of those from what you're saying as long as you do it correctly and as long as you're checking those traps the swim in and walk-in traps as long as you're checking them regularly yeah then both of them as long as you're doing it right are (laughs) staying that low stress um that low stress opportunity for that. But, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, oh, I was wondering about that. I was wondering which one yeah. you would have chosen. But I think, like you said, it kind of is based on the environment and on what, mm-hmm. like it'd be nice to have the option to do both. Um, yeah, honestly, both would be great because if you're having a bad weather day for rocket net banding, then mm-hmm. at least you have the swimming traps to rely on. Yeah. But I did talk to Brian Huber about that. And with hunting season coming up and them having such a wide array of food resources available, um, swimming traps may not have been the best gotcha. technique to utilize because mm-hmm. we can't bait them. Um, yeah. There's nothing to kind of attract them to go into those traps. So they're kind of in a situation where they have to rocket net yeah. band because 
those swimming traps are just not going to be useful to them because there's no point. The birds will be like, why do you want me to go in that trap when I can sit out here in the freedom area <laughs> and, and enjoy just eat myself. whatever I want? Yes. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's just dependent on the season as well. So just coming into hunting season, you don't really want to be baiting. There's no point to baiting because they're just not going to be attracted to that when they have so much resources available to them. So I love it. I love it. I'm glad you had a great experience in California. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, there's, I've talked, you and I had this conversation, was it two weeks ago, um, <laughs> that we have a mutual friend who is yeah. in the waterfowl world. And he and I were both talking on the phone a couple of weeks ago about um, about Louisiana. And there's a lady down there that... Mm-hmm. I want to volunteer my services to go, and I think that you and I should do it together. (laughs) Yeah, let's go to Louisiana, Amy. It's going to be a great trip. Let's go down (laughs) there and ban some ducks. And she takes volunteers, and uh, I would love to go through that process of Mm -hmm. because I think that that takes on not just the responsibility as a as a waterfowl hunter, but takes it back. It takes it back to um to being hands on with that yeah. animal and with uh the environment that it's in and the habitat and to see mm-hmm. what what part I can have, not even as a biologist, but as somebody who wants to invest in what I'm hunting uh in yeah. a good way. And understanding your resource a little bit better too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would love, and I think that you and I both agreed on this. I think that not enough. I mean, when you get a duck that has a band on it, we know that you can look it up and you can mm-hmm. let people know that you've got this, and like there are those kind of things. But I want to know the process of banding. And mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of people out there that would like to know that process and what it looks like and what it involves and why. So if you could yeah. give us a little bit of that, I would appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess I'll speak from my past experience in Alberta and Saskatchewan first, um, just because I still don't feel 100% confident in, on all the procedures that go into oh, rocket yeah. netting. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so in Saskatchewan and Alberta, our banding season kind of starts end of July. Um, so at that point, we kind of start scouting out our banding sites that um, kind of have been used in the past years. Uh, we have some spots that kind of just continually get reused just because we know that they're reliable. Um, so we start doing our scouting end of July. Um, if we feel that the birds are hanging around there, um, we'll start baiting as well. And just continually hitting those sites every day, seeing how the bait's going, if they're hitting the bait, if they're not, and kind of just adjusting as needed. Yeah. Um, during this time as well, those birds are molting. So this is when oh. we want to kind of target them because they're not going to be flying. They're kind of loafing in the area. They're not going to be moving too far away from the area that we are banding or wanting to band in. Um, so yeah, we're, we're baiting them. We're seeing if they're hitting their bait. And after a few consecutive days of seeing that they're hitting the bait, we'll put up a swim-in trap or a walk-in trap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we just keep baiting and hope for the best. Um, so you're just you're checking your banding sites daily um, just for 
predators sometimes will have, you know, hawks hang around and we just want to make sure that the birds are safe, honestly, right. because we don't want to have to come up to a trap and see mm-hmm. a massacre have, that mm-hmm. have occurred the past evening. So, yeah, yeah so we're checking for that. And then, uh, yeah, depending on how good that site is for the year, then once it starts going and there's birds in the trap, honestly, they kind of all flock together and it's just, it gets bigger and bigger from there. Um, again, depending on weather, sometimes if there's a storm that comes in, it'll be a little less in the trap. And that's kind of a good thing. We don't want those birds to be in a trap and unconditional weather mm-hmm. conditions. Yeah, yeah. Overcrowding and then just, yeah, wet birds are not fun. They're not happy. <laughs> and we're not happy either. <laughs> no. um, yeah. So then from there, we're just, we're banding whatever we've got in our traps in Saskatchewan. We were targeting Northern pintails. Um, so generally our traps would be filled with pintail, but we'd have the odd blue wing here and there, some mallards, um, sometimes divers, depending on the site we were at. Um, and then in Alberta, our target was mallards. So we were getting lots of mallards, lots of pintails, um, a few blue wings, a smaller amount of green wings, and just, you know, kind of a mixed bag um, throughout the season, but uh, generally mallards for the Alberta banding crew. I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. How many is usually yeah. on your team when you check the, the traps and when yeah well and I mean I know that checking traps is probably one thing but when you've got um, when you've got a lot of them in there what then mm-hmm. happens like do you call in for backup like come on we've got a bunch in here how many people are usually on that team when you're beginning that banding process yeah for sure so when we're just in the beginning of our season just scouting and baiting um generally it would be like one person to two people together in a truck and then we'd all kind of like split up and go to our different areas just because that's super easy you don't need backup for that Mm -hmm. um once birds once traps were up and birds were starting to flock into those traps then we'd kind of go together in a crew of four to five um sometimes we'd split up depending on how the sites were doing but generally we'd all kind of go together just because a lot of birds it's just easier to handle and deal with the bands if you have more hands available to Mm -hmm. you um and then in alberta it was just the crew of two and then the crew of three when i was around so (laughs) they're troopers um they killed it and did so amazing just the two of them um sometimes had a little bit more backup if the boss man was around Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah it's just dependent on crew size as well so just with COVID and everything, it's hard to oh, get yeah. volunteers and deal with that situation as well. So the more hands, the better. And that's the same for California waterfowl. You just, you need more hands to get those birds out of the rocket net, um, just to decrease mortality and any stress on the bird, just be as quick as you can. So yeah, yeah more hands, the better, but sometimes it's difficult, especially in COVID situation this year. So I get that. I get that. Um, do you normally like take COVID out of it? Would you guys put forth uh, any kind of message? Hey, this is we're going to be having banding season right now. We've got birds coming in. Is our you know all hands on deck kind of volunteer situation, or do you need to be trained for it? Um, so I'll just speak for Canada because I think the U.S. Yeah. is a little bit different in that. But in Canada, I think it's a little more tight-lipped as far as our banding sites go. Um, you can get volunteers in, but it's hard to say 
it like oh, I don't want to like speak poorly about volunteers because volunteers are so important but honestly it's hard to kind of decide if that volunteer is going to come back and potentially hit your banding site and try to get those bands come hunting season I gotcha. um, so it's really important to kind of vet your mm-hmm. volunteers to make sure that you know we can trust this person they're not gonna let out our banding site on social media because that's also an issue we don't mm-hmm. want our sites to kind of get into the public knowledge of either outfitters or other hunters um that's kind of a touchy subject we want to have help and stuff but uh i think oftentimes it's looked more so internally um so that's either through like our ducks unlimited relationships Mm -hmm. or people that we have in the office or the same department stuff like that um so in canada it is a lot more difficult to get involved with waterfowl stuff outside of the government um and that is one area i wish we could kind of work on and improve but i still you know, see it though right i still yeah. see the the need for vetting i still see the mm-hmm. need for being careful um yeah you don't want if you want to continue having the ability to band and the ability to check on things and the ability to um, observe these birds, you yeah. any kind of disruption would push them into a different place. And exactly. that takes valuable time. It ta- It can change their habitat. It can change honestly their habits which then then can change how they move and how mm-hmm. uh, they migrate and I, I you just have to be careful with that so I get the caution yeah. in it um, it yeah. would be interesting to see how different it is for the different parts of the United States um, mm-hmm. yeah yeah I know that California waterfowl does call for volunteers to kind of help them out mm-hmm. um, so that's why I didn't want to include them in my yeah. answer to that question but um, yeah well, at least for Ramsey, Canada it's kind of yeah Ramsey was saying that down in Louisiana they they do the same thing so mm-hmm. I wonder I think that there's still from what he said it's still an application process it's still you know checking you out and checking who right. you are and honestly your motives behind it um, yeah for sure so I I think that they're still very careful, but I think that, like you said, they're a little bit more open to the public being a part of it, depending mm-hmm. on who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So they've, yeah, pros and cons there as well. It's mm-hmm. good to get volunteers involved, but you just got to make sure that it's the right people that are getting involved and they're not going to exploit your site or yeah, let other advantage. people know what your site is mm-hmm. yeah and exactly since we keep reusing our sites um a lot of times we'll go back to the same site and they're still good to us so we don't want to give that up but right uh, right yeah <laughs> um so the banding process itself where mm-hmm. do you go from the point of okay there are birds in the traps yeah what now so we have catch cages. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've seen pictures of them. They're just like those orange plastic crates with a little sliding door. Yes. Um, some of them are built a little differently, but general idea is the same. Um, so we will go up to our trap. Um, there's a funnel that the ducks will swim into, at least in our swim and walk-in traps. Um, so someone will stand there to kind of just mitigate any escapees. We don't, don't want any to get out. Um, so someone will kind of guide and watch that door trap. Um, and then there's someone that goes inside of the trap to net them all and grab them. And then we have a third person, hopefully, to 
put them all in the catch cages. Mm-hmm. So try to do that as quickly as we can, just because it's stressful on the birds to have to keep swimming away from us. They're kind of terrified. They don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, once we've got all the birds in our catch cage, we bring them back to the shore just so that they're not sitting in the water. Cause sometimes in the mornings, the water has been so cold. And mm-hmm. if I'm cold, I'm sure the birds are cold too. So yeah. bring them back to the shore and we have our bands all kind of organized. And uh, depending on who you're working with, um, the band, can kind of be a point of um, interest, I guess. Someone will either stand there and hand them to you or depending on how experienced the crew is, you can kind of just grab the bands as you need them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just, you grab a bird, you figure out if it is a male or female, what species it is, age it, and then there's a band accordingly for whatever bird you have in your hands. So grab your band, put on your band and then let it fly away. But if it's molting, we don't throw it. We'll just put it down on the ground and then it'll kind of flop away and swim away from us. So yeah. that's so interesting because it's, yeah. uh, I'm wondering how many youngsters versus older birds do you see? Mm-hmm. Is there a mixture of it or do you notice more young birds than older birds? It was kind of a mix at the beginning and then it slowly kind of went to older birds. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, initially it's, it's a mixed bag of hatch years and then adult birds. Um, And then also once you're starting to see the adult females come through, their feathers are so raggedy and you could almost be like, Oh, is this a hatch year? Cause you see the notching and it was, I don't know. We'd have fun with it. Cause we're like, is this an old lady or is this a young lady? Like we don't know. (laughs) Um, So yeah, looking at those feathers and uh, really getting to look at the bird in close detail is really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like my favorite part of it. But uh, yeah, seeing the old raggedy hens and just deciding what bird you've got in your hands, it's its the best. I absolutely love it. But uh, yeah, just deciding what you've got and banding it and then you let it go. And then after each site, we kind of compile our banding data just so that we kind of segregate each location, mm-hmm. uh, what bands went out at each location just to separate that. And then at the end of the day, we can pile it further and yeah, just go on day by day until the end of the season. <laughs> I love it. I love this science behind it. I love data. Mm-hmm. I love um like the more I can know about things, the better I feel like, the the better educated I am yeah, and the totally. better hunter I can be or the better conservationist I can be. I think that mm-hmm. it uh, is so interesting to me that um, you can tell so much from just being hands-on and yeah. it, it kind of goes into the – like one of my questions is how um, when you do take – these birds in do you find do you find banded ones that have come back um yeah so we definitely do so mm-hmm. there there are good recaps and then there are bad recaps um so oftentimes you'll get a lot of bad recaps and that just means that we had previously banded that bird maybe a day earlier two days earlier oh, gotcha. um, so we don't we don't want those recaps because it doesn't mean anything that data isn't valuable we know that we banded that bird um, so it's just, I don't know, they get kind of silly and you know that they're in there just to feed on the grain. So yeah. you guys can fatten up and get in the trap again. If you want to go through that stress continuously <laughs> day after day, but that's fine. Um, and then we have good recaps. So that means that that band was not banded that season. Um, it was either a previous season or maybe even many years prior. And we had had a few of those. Um, I didn't get to ask the information about our recaps um i'll put that on my list of things to do but uh yeah we had some older recaps which is super cool and just 
being able to see that there is fidelity to our sites, mm-hmm. which means that they're returning back to those areas year after year. Um, that's really valuable data and so awesome to see. It makes me happy. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's pretty cool. That is cool. I, I love knowing that, and we all know that birds, they leave and they come back and they leave and they come back. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. it's another thing. It's totally different when you get to see that process yeah Um, yeah exactly it's like oh you came home (laughs) (laughs) totally and then you went in our trap again like you know this process why are you doing it again but it's so much fun I love it (laughs) It, that is really cool um I I have do you guys get phone calls from people or the text messages or the emails um from people who have been hunting and they catch your vans or do you receive that information back so that goes above me gotcha. and all of the texts. Um, usually that's somebody that's in the office um, dealing with those phone calls. Um, it may even be going further past their head as well, um, just because there's that automated website that does all that for you. Right. Um, but it does go on their desk at some point being like, hey, this bird was was found and it was captured in this location, mm-hmm. either recap or if it was hunted in this location and dispatched in this location. So yeah, eventually it will cross the desk of someone higher up than me, but uh, I don't personally see that information unless it's relayed to me. I personally have never gotten a banded bird. It would be exciting to to do that. If I ever find oh, one yeah. from Alberta, I'll be like, that would- Kara! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Like possibly I banded that bird, right? <laughs> yes, I'll be calling you up. Oh my goodness, you won't believe this um i love it (laughs) and i think that that's it's something that kind of makes it full circle right if Mm -hmm. if you are able to get in on volunteering for that and then it comes full circle maybe not that year or the year after that but maybe that third year or fourth like whatever the process is Mm -hmm. having a connection and being like okay i know what what it took to do that or yeah, Wait, hold exactly. on. This is from the same place that I was at. <laughs> like that would Yeah. It is so much bigger than just shooting a bird. It when you're totally. talking about hunting waterfowl, it is so much bigger than that. And I think that hearing from you and hearing this process creates that excitement around it. And it creates like you've been asked, are you vegan? Are you a non-hunter? Are you against hunting mm-hmm. because of what you do? And yeah. it creates the opportunity to say this is bigger. This is bigger than um, than me being on one side and them being on one side. It is mm-hmm. it is something that works together. And yeah, for sure, being able to to work not only on the front side of it, but as a hunter on the other side and concluding that life cycle of a duck. It, it creates yeah, exactly. so much data that we're able to do even more along the way. So um, yeah. that's exciting yeah. to me. It's, it's great. And honestly, like I check myself every day and just feel so blessed and grateful that I get to be a part of something like this. Like it's so much bigger than me. It's not, it's not just me going and banding a duck. Like this whole system is so much bigger than me and just being able to share that with everybody and getting to have that connection to a food source, a resource, mm-hmm. conservation. It's amazing. I'm just, yeah, I'm very happy and feel really grateful that I get to do this and have this as my career. So oh, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so you you don't just do ducks though. We, and we talked no. a little bit about snakes, about tagging. 
<laughs> the snakes earlier. I think I got more messages from it was just the sneak peek to your last podcast about talking about really? snakes. I got so many That's messages awesome. about it. Um, I got a few the nope ropes, like I, I got a few of those, but I got a lot of that's really cool to hear the science and and the side of of the the snake world. And oh, that makes me so happy. It to does hear. me I too. It. it does me too because you know we've there's such a negative connotation around snakes. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, totally. I'm giving them their room. There are a couple that I know that are safe that I'm not afraid of as much. I have heavy respect yeah. for them. But um, but there there is enough room in this world for me and a snake. And I mm-hmm. truly enjoy watching them. And I think that fear and ignorance can go hand in hand, uh, whereas respect and education go hand in hand. And so, um, I loved that that conversation came out. Um, but you do a lot more than that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of all over the place. (laughs) You are, you are. Okay. I want to hear, because you told me that you lived in Mexico for two months. I did. Yeah. Um, I had gone through a pretty nasty breakup and mm-hmm. I just needed to get the hell out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just decided I'm going to go to Mexico. That is called self-care. Because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. I definitely, you know, didn't drink any, you know, adult beverages when I was no there because, you know, self-care. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so prior to me deciding that this was what I wanted to do, I always had an interest in ocean life. I really mm-hmm. wanted to get my scuba diving certification just, just to do it. It was always something that was on my bucket list. Um, So yeah, I ended up going to Mexico for two months and I worked on a sea turtle project and also got my scuba diving certification while I was there. And oh my goodness, it was it was a great experience. I'm super happy that I did it. Um, I miss being by the ocean some Mm -hmm. days, but also I love being in land too. I get my waterfowl and all of that. There are the sea ducks, but uh, yeah, focusing on the sea turtles, it was just amazing. And the people that I met, the culture there, it was, I don't know, everyone needs to kind of do a an eat, pray, love trip like that. I know I didn't go to Europe or anything, but uh, yeah, going to Mexico was great. I really needed that at that time in my life. There's nothing like the Gulf. I'm sorry if anybody's mm-hmm. listening to me from anywhere else, but <laughs> it is where I've grown up in the Gulf waters of the Gulf of yeah. Mexico. And there's just nothing like it. But to be able to work with sea turtles, we I've been on the Eastern coast of Florida a couple of times during the laying season. And so we were able to, I'd get up early in the morning and go down. And it was when the people were coming up and down the beach uh, Mm -hmm. marking nests because you're not allowed to mess with them. It is, it is Mm -hmm. a big, huge no, no. And so they mark them so that you can stay away from them. And if you're there early enough, you can, you might catch a turtle going back into the Mm -hmm. water but you yes. also are able to see the tracks and it is yeah. so neat to be able to tell from the tracks what kind of turtle it is yeah it was amazing it was so one of my tasks um we often did evening and into the night um, beach patrols mm-hmm. um so on this particular evening i believe it was my 25th or 24th birthday 
I was going into the day, like it was midnight mm-hmm. and I was going into the day of my birthday and we were patrolling for nests and just poachers, that sort of thing. Yeah. And as we were doing our patrol, there was a big old turtle that was coming up to nest and we got to watch her lay her eggs <sighs> and watch her go back into the ocean. Yeah. Um, and with this project that I was on, we were able to salvage those eggs and then re-nest them in a secure area. Um, so I told everyone, yeah, it's my birthday. This is amazing. Like, this is the best birthday present I could have asked for. (laughs) And they ended up naming the nest after me. So we re-nested those eggs and then that was the Kara nest. And it was, yeah, it was so amazing. It was, I'll never forget that moment, but, uh, yeah, if anyone has the opportunity to kind of be a part of those projects, Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing the work that those people do day in, day out, evening and night shifts. It's a lot of yeah, work. It is um, a lot of but work. so rewarding. We got to talk to one of the guys out there that was doing the checks early, early in the morning. And mm-hmm. it was neat to, because I had my kids with me, it was neat the way they're educators. Like they yeah. live off of sharing that information and teaching. Yeah. There was a, a sea turtle hospital that we went to visit while we were down there. And because I can't just go to the beach. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I enjoy getting, going to the beach, but I also enjoy learning about where I am. And so we went yeah. to the sea turtle hospital and just learning all of the different uh the different ways that they help, the the different ways that they're hoping to rehabilitate and put back in. How do you do mm-hmm. that? How do you keep from the dependence and and all of yeah. that? It's their one goal is to rehab and release. And yeah. sometimes you're not able to do that. So what does it look like after that? We saw those big, yeah. what are those huge crabs that um, – oh. They're like bigger than I me. Know what you're t- yeah, <laughs> I know what you're huge. talking about. Oh my goodness. And we walked I'm up on right a now. huge beach of those. Like it's just yeah. it's amazing to be able to see um just how how people work to keep yeah. things going. And mm-hmm. you know, I you get a lot of grief on, well, if we don't Like, why do we have to put our stamp on things? Well, we have to put our stamp on things because we cause these problems. Exactly. And we're fixing them because our the number of humans is exponential and we are now creeping into their habitat and we are creeping Mm -hmm. into their world and our trash is creeping into their world and it it creates problems so yeah we have to have a hand on it because we've created a little bit of a mess that we've got to oh for sure Mm -hmm. yeah and ignorance is just not going to fly in these situations because we're definitely having a negative impact on these populations and on Mm -hmm. these species so yeah Mm -hmm. and it's not like like we could go right back to the conversation of well, hunters, boo, boo, boo. Well, it's not. Mm-hmm. That's that's not really the case. It's yeah. It's the mishandling of oil. It's the mishandling of uh, poison. It's the mishandling mm-hmm. of crops of um, the things that you choose to grow versus natural stuff. Like there are all of these things that have created. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, airplanes, windmills, windmills kill more songbirds in the world than anything else. And I, I see how windmills can help, but I also see how they can hinder. So it's mm-hmm. we're creating situations that kind of 
it's it's almost like a roadblock. And so I, I don't it's it's hard. It's hard to fix one thing without hurting another thing. And for sure. So there there's a need for people to come in and and to do things like you've been doing. Um Yeah. Speaking of songbirds, you also said that uh what was it that wet owl banding? What is that? Oh, saw wet banding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I worked on a bird observatory near Edmonton for a little bit, um, and that entailed putting up mist nets. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mist nets kind of stretch along trunks of trees, and they're quite high up um, just so that the birds are flying in there. Um, and the target species was saw wet owls, which oh. are owls that are like... I can't even begin to tell you how small they are. They like maybe the size of my hand, depending. Teeny Um, tiny. Yeah, they're so tiny. Um, Definitely look up a sawwet owl after this podcast and see how cute they are. Um, But yeah, we were banding sawwet owls for a little bit. Um, And sometimes you'd have uh, some songbirds kind of end up in the mist nets as well. And we'd process them as they came in. But uh, yeah, the sawwet owls are so amazing. They're just adorable. And I have to look (laughs) at them. Yeah, and just with that bird observatory, anybody can go um, be a part of that just because the bands, you can't hunt sawwet owls or songbirds. So the banding project is a little different. Um, It's not that tight-lipped. So anyone can go volunteer on projects like that. Um, I'm sure there's even bird observatories near you that participate in banding um, songbirds and owls and such. So they are teeny tiny, like teeny tiny. Uh Right. And they're so, so cute. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is so cool. I love that. Um, right. I was <laughs> just adorable. reading they weigh males weigh only about 75 grams and yeah. 18 to 20 centimeters long. <laughs> They're so tiny. Like you can't even imagine. You have to look at them up. <laughs> so so North Americans, uh, Americans, let's let's go into the mm-hmm. United States. Compare it to a robin. So think, oh think um, about that size. Uh, like just slightly bigger than a robin. Golly. Just a little more owl shaped, I guess. <laughs> and they're all feather, right? It's yeah. <laughs> like that little bitty yeah, body. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. They're so cute. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So getting a part, uh, getting to be a part of projects like that, I just got to always keep your eyes and ears open for uh, different stuff that's happening around you and try to get involved because it's there's some really cool things happening around that may not get as much focus on social media as other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just kind of got to be vigilant and searching for those things. Yeah. So you are, you're, some of your goals that you had were um, like one of the things was a master's program. And mm-hmm. one of the things that you told me was that you want to make a difference in yeah. waterfowl populations because of the new problems that they're facing and we've talked about Mm -hmm. a few of them like human interaction human impact habitat loss i mean we have just in the past six months our where we live used to be just farmland and they are almost just wiping out all of the trees and clearing everything for houses. And we're seeing more wildlife in our neighborhood because of it being pushed into a Mm -hmm. different 
into a different place. And I understand there's growth. I understand there's more people. We actually have a whole lot of Californians moving to Tennessee. Um, yeah. But where's the balance? What are you yeah. leaving? What are you yeah. creating instead of just taking away? And I think that that's where not just biologists, but, you know, people who are creating these neighborhoods, the developers, the the politicians, the mm-hmm. the city ordinances, like all of these things should be responsible. If you take a tree out, where are you going to replace yeah. one? Because that was yeah, a home exactly. for something. Um, mm-hmm. We just lost a tree to a storm three weeks ago, and there were owls mm-hmm. in that tree consistently. Oh, no. And I I can't help but think, and mainly because my kids, we keep binoculars on the kitchen table because there are birds out back. And so yeah. where are these birds going? Where are the coyotes going? Where are the deer going? Like all of these things mm-hmm. are going through my brain because I'm a hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not always thinking, what am I going to kill? It is what, <laughs> how are they going to survive? How, Mm -hmm. what impact are we having? What impact are we having? And that's, that is a goal that you have. And I think that it's, it's one that is valid. It is needed. Where are you hoping to do your master's soon? Are you in the process of it or? um, Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of looking at schools right now. Mm -hmm. Um, In Canada, we don't need to take any graduate school examinations or anything like that. Um, So I have been looking within Canada, but I'm also going to take my graduate record examination um, so that I can kind of open doors to do my master's in the States as well. Um, So I've been in talks with some supervisors here and there. Um, I just, yeah, there's some great projects out there that are focused on waterfowl and all the research and data that we can get from them through banding programs, the GPS transmitters and such. Um, so yeah, I just, I want to get involved in a project that is going to give back some really valuable data that we can kind of make important decisions based on. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned, the climate change thing, we're going to start seeing more and more problems come from that as flyways shift, yeah. as temperatures change. Yeah, um, We can already see it now, even um, this year was a very dry year. Um, so that's going to impact our reproductivity numbers that we're going to see or won't see. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, yeah, I just, I want to be a part of something that is going to just make a difference and give back to the waterfowl that I love so dearly. Um, So I'm just always looking, keeping my eyes and ears open for those master's opportunities. Um, I write my GRE in November. Um, so I'm hoping that that's going to open some doors for me and uh, allow me some opportunities that I may not have had prior to that. Um, and yeah, that's kind of about it. But uh, I just, I want more education. I want to just continue my journey and learn mm-hmm. as much as I possibly can. I get kind of uh, narrow-minded when I find something I like. I just want to know everything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of what I want to do with my ducks. Um, Just tell me everything. Let me learn everything. Let me be a part of something that's going to give back to the community and uh, 
Yeah, I love that's that. That's what I want to do. I think that <laughs> yeah. I think that more so than anything, connection is huge. I think mm-hmm. that um, putting yourself in circumstances where you're having conversations with the right people, where yeah, you are finding how you can make an impact, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think that you're doing that well. Ramsey, oh, Russell, you. and I talked very highly of you both together. Oh, um, <laughs> that's so nice to hear. It was exciting to I don't I think it was exciting to be exciting about the same person and yeah <laughs> um I'm I'm thrilled to see where that relationship is gonna go um in in an education form because I think that mm-hmm. both of you have such a passion for our waterfowl world um so um, I can't wait to see how that goes. I'm like, can I tag along? Can I be in on that? Yeah, can up, I sit around that here. table? <laughs> yes, please come up. I think, We're going hunting on October 7th. Uh, so can you make it up here by then? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Um, and and <laughs> yeah. honestly, I talked to so many people from all over the world that calling him and hearing his voice in that southern Mississippi draw yes. was like yes. perfect. <laughs> it was like home. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's great. And you're probably listening to this, Ramsey. And I've I've I true I told it to him as as sure as I'm telling it to all of you guys. It is. It's a little bit like home talking to somebody in the same dialect that you have even mm-hmm. across the English um language but it is his passion is is very very similar to yours Mm -hmm. and i think that that's when you start seeing that like-minded uh that like-minded background that pulls us and draws you together for the same causes for the same desires to to put better words out there, to educate people, to have conversations that include biology and conservation and hunting all in the same conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. You need to come to uh, the women's event that we had last weekend next year because I would love to. (laughs) It's it's I have not been able to stop talking about it. I was surrounded by all different all different kinds and types of women who weren't all hunters, who weren't all anglers, who weren't all foragers. We were all completely different coming into the same room, the same space and respecting each other. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's it's being able to have an open conversation with somebody who does not hunt, but who still respects who mm-hmm. you are because you love the outdoors just like they do. And yeah, we need more of that. <laughs> we need more of that. It is so polarizing right now that mm-hmm. it's it is so refreshing to walk away with created relationships of not just hunters but of people who who love to do other things in the outdoors whether it's hiking, foraging, cooking, um just whatever is their speciality but coming together under that common ground of we love mm-hmm. being outside 
Yeah, totally. So it's Oh, that sounds like so much fun. I definitely want to come. It is so much fun. You need to come. Sorry, Will Turness, I keep bringing more people. So you're going to have to have more space. Yeah. Um, yes. It it was it's just amazing. I don't think I took a shower from Thursday to Sunday. <laughs> you know you had a good weekend when. It's true. It's true. Um but being able to learn not just skills for hunting, but skills for for taking care of where you are. And I think that mm-hmm. you'd have a valuable place in that. And you do oh, have a valuable place awesome. in that. Um, Thank you. You're a voice for that. I've, I've been told over and over that um, that women have such an important voice right now mm-hmm. in the outdoor community to reach outside of our community and reach further. And so um, there's a place for that. And I'm glad that you are a part of it. Thank you. I'm happy to be a part of it. And I'm happy that we were able to connect and get this going. So yeah, it's amazing. I know it. Okay. One day we're going to meet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whether that's in Saskatchewan or you're going to come know, hunting, we'll figure it out. We're going to figure or it Louisiana. out. <laughs> well, I think my Canadian family is coming down at the end of this month. Part of them anyway. Oh, okay. For my brother's nice. wedding. But it's... Uh, it's always fun to have your roots spread out all over yeah, the place. Um, totally. It's okay having family everywhere and family goes further than blood. So mm-hmm. um, totally. You have a place in Tennessee anytime you want to come down. Oh, and you have a place in Alberta anytime yes. you want to come up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We just have to get these borders more open. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a separate issue. <laughs> it is 100%. Well, I appreciate this conversation. I think that there's so much more that we will continue to have uh, over the course of our friendship. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to be speaking to a couple of people about getting you down here for, for, oh goodness, for teaching. So um, yes. <laughs> we'll figure it out. But I'm glad that – I'm glad that you're able to take us, even as a hunter, outside of the hunting world while still involving it um, mm-hmm. and making it that full circle – conversation of course yeah i think that's super important you need both you can't have one or the other i don't like this bipolar Mm -mm. viewpoint of hunting not hunting so yeah it's good that we get this conversation going and have women involved in it as well so heck yeah because like you said earlier you said i get kind of narrow-minded in like that tunnel vision when you're learning something (laughs) i think a lot of women are like that we like Mm -hmm. to know all of the information before stepping into (laughs) it and um i mean that can be a detriment to what we do if we hold off on doing things before we fully know everything but Mm-hmm. But there is value in educating ourselves. And definitely I do. I want it's like I'm soaking everything up. If you could see my sheet of paper right now with all my notes. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's like I just take I take all of what you say and I go, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. And I think there are a lot of people that think the same way. It's it's really great to know not just that what you're hunting is wild and free and it's not from a grocery store or anything like that. But it's Mm -hmm. really nice to know who is responsible for a lot of it from the beginning. Like where, Mm -hmm. who's taking care of this habitat? And it's not just you as a biologist. It's not just our government agencies. Mm -hmm. It's us. It's all of us. And how can you do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So thank you for telling us how there are ways that you can get involved. And it might not be in Canada. It might not be in a volunteer position, but it might Mm -hmm. be on becoming a part of a board. It might be being a part of the political change that needs to happen. It might be like there are so many other ways that you can be involved by donating money or supplies. Um, Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways that you can be involved. Um, not just by taking a picture. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Have the conversations, ask, how can I be more involved? Um, You can reach out to Kara. You can reach out to me. I'll get you hooked up with who you need to be hooked up with. Um, But do your part. Don't just talk the talk. You got to, you got to put the sweat equity in. So um, yeah, for sure. It's more than just likes (laughs) on Instagram. (laughs) It truly, it truly is. And honestly, doing that and putting the work in beforehand is going to make hunting even better. It's going to, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to create situations where we will always have an abundance of what we need versus a lack of it. And Mm -hmm. that would be the saddest day when you're not able to duck hunt or goose hunt or all of those things. And so we've got to take our time and put the effort in on the front end and the back end to make sure that these things are taken care of. Mm -hmm. Mm Yep. Yep. Keep passing it on. <laughs> Keep passing it on. It's it's just as much passing it on through stories as it is keeping data and logging that information. So thank you for being yeah. a part of that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Tell everybody again how they can follow you. Yes. So you can follow me on Instagram, K-E-R-R-A-A-A-A. <laughs> and that is four A's. <laughs> and yeah, shoot me a follow, shoot me a message. And uh, yeah, let's get this conversation rolling. Perfect. Thank you, Kara. Thank you.